Well, once again, let me welcome you. Welcome to all of you over in the, the venue. As I said last hour, Rebecca, man, you just have a, a gift, and I'm thankful you use it for uh, God's purposes over there. Um, welcome to all of you that are watching online. Um, I was driving on to this campus last night, and I couldn't help but think how much I, I love being here. Um, I, I, don't, I don't come to, to work. I, I gave my life to Christ here about 40 years ago, and I never left. Literally, I was here at Big Valley Grace. And uh, when, I, when I show up here, it's like I'm coming to my family. And this is a beautiful family, just a bunch of misfits. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, and God does great things through us, and uh, what a joy it is to, to be here. I, I want to um, take you back a couple of years. I want you to remember something that happened a couple of years ago. Now, if you're like me, I can't remember what happened like two days ago. <laughs> no joke. But um, it was about two years ago, our missions department gave us a challenge. We kind of did something fun. Remember, we, we said, hey, go buy a verse. And so we all bought a verse in Romans. And we could buy a verse maybe for our own family. We could buy verses for friends. And your generosity over and above what you gave to the church was about $60,000, which is what it cost to translate the book of Romans into this language that had never had the scripture. And it was this past week, uh, Katie sitting right over here, the administrative assistant, she hands me this book. I knew what it was. Gave me goosebumps. Got goosebumps right now. This is the completed work of Romans right here. And I think for us here in America, it's hard to grasp that because we, you know, I mean, come on, I can read the book of Romans anytime I want. I, I, I can read it in all the different versions that I want. And it's hard for us to grasp, but there are many places on our planet that they don't even have a language. They don't have the scriptures. They've never been able to read that amazing piece of literature that God had Paul write. And so today, who knows? Maybe today, in some place you'd never find on a map, a bunch of people here in Modesto, California came together. It took a couple years, but for the very first time, they're able to read the book of Romans. That's just crazy, man. Just really super crazy. Anyway, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14, okay? If you're visiting with us, we're in a series where we're going through the gospel of John together or the book of John together. As I've told you many times, John was um, one of Jesus's closest friends, okay? He, he would have heard Jesus actually preach in person, John would have seen some of, if not all of the miracles that Jesus performed. God chose John to write five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, which is what we're studying now, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then also the book of Revelation. John had a, a real edge to him, I mean, a, a real bite to him. Uh, he could get worked up pretty easily. L listen to what he says in Luke chapter 9, okay? As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. 
He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, when they heard this, and James was his brother, James and John were biological brothers, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them all up? Whoa, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I just love that. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, so they went to another village. You know, it's like, okay, whatever, guys. Let's get out of here. In Mark chapter three, Jesus selects his 12 men, his, uh, the original 12 disciples, and it says this. These are the 12 Jesus chose. Simon, whom he named Peter, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, Jesus, he had a purpose for everything he did. I would love to just give a sermon on the sons of thunder. He knew, he knew when he chose them. He knew what was coming. He knew what he was gonna say to those those two brothers were going to say to those people there, let me call down the thunder and burn them all up. He knew. And he calls them the th sons of thunder. But we also know John as the disciple of love. Isn't that interesting? That he had this edge to him, he had this bite to him. But he also understood the love of God at a very deep, deep level. In fact, um, John, throughout his gospel, refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, he refers to himself as John also, but there are these moments where he doesn't use his own name. He just simply says, the disciple that Jesus loved. And he's not saying that Jesus didn't love Matthew or Jesus didn't love James, or Jesus didn't love the other disciples. John just knew that he was loved by, by Jesus. And as I was kind of putting this message together this week, I kind of got sidetracked on that. And I thought to myself, you know, if I had one last message left in me, or if one of you were to come to my bedside and I'm on my last few breaths, I'd want you to know that you're the disciple that Jesus loves. You're the disciple that Jesus loves. He loves you deeply. Jesus loves you deeply. Not because of what you do for him, He went to a cross when we were but sinners, demonstrating how much he loves us. And somehow, some way, may we be a family of believers who really understand that all of us are the disciples whom Jesus loves. All this to say, we as a church family are studying the gospel according to one of the sons of thunder. Interesting way of looking at it, is it? Um, so let's get into today's message, okay? We, we, we know what the Father did for us, right? I mean, he, he sent his Son for us. We know what the Son did for us. 
He gave his life for us. And we know what the Holy Spirit did for us. He, he, a little bit interesting that in a church like ours, that, that's a little bit more difficult to answer. I think we have an easy time talking about what the Father did for us. We can talk about what the Son did for us, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, wow, we, we don't know necessarily how to answer that question. There are a lot of people, a lot of Christians that have no idea or no clue about the Holy Spirit. They don't know what the Holy Spirit's role in our life is, and so we're going to look at it a little closer um, not only this weekend, but probably the next three or four weekends. In fact, today we're going to look at the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the week after that, we'll look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And they're all different. They sound alike, and they sound like they all ought to go together, but, but they're really different. If you were to look at our mission statement, it's right on the wall outside the, 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 the doors out there. Our mission statement is this, is that we would be a church family that loved God above all else, that our love for God would be greater than our love for our spouses, our love for our children, our grandchildren, the, the love we might have for our parents or whatever. Love your spouse, love your kids and all that, but that we would be a church that understood that the greatest thing that we could do with our life is to love the Lord our God. The second part of our mission statement is that we would be a church that would love others, that we would care about other people, that we would put other people's needs uh, ahead of our own. And I, I think this is a great example. We all could have used that money and spent it on ourselves, but we cared about a group of people that we don't even know, we never met them. We don't even know where they're at on the map. And so what we did was we invested in them, we cared about them, I think maybe the, the, the quote that I think from Jesus that might best illustrate that is, we want to treat others the way we'd be treated. But the third part of our mission statement is that we would make disciples. And that's what this building, this piece of land is all about, that somehow we're in the discipleship-making business, that in our children's ministries, our youth ministries, our men's ministries, our women's ministries, we just want to make disciples. We want, we want to teach people, you know, the things of God as best we can. And sometimes we do it better than others. But this is one of those messages where I really want you as my church family to pay attention. This is one of those great discipleship moments where you're going to learn something about a very important topic, and that is the Holy Spirit. So with this said, everybody look at John chapter 14, okay? Jesus is talking here. This is where we're at in our journey through the gospel of John. Jesus says this in verse 15. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, make, make sure my will is what's most important to you. And obviously, the only way we could know his will is through the scriptures, okay? You, you can't separate those, those two out. If you love me, obey my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Some of your Bibles use the word counselor. Some use the word comforter, right? Some use the word helper, who will never leave you. Never. Verse 17. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. 
The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. He's with you now. And later on, not only will he be with you, he's going to be in you. Wow. Verse 18, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you soon. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. Verse 20, when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. And I'm going to stop right there, okay? Now, I'm going to make three points, okay? The first two I'm going to get through pretty quickly, and then I'm going to spend most of my time on the third point because it really goes to our text, okay? So the, the first point that I want to make is this, is that the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. And I want to make sure that my family here at Big Valley Grace understands this basic truth. It's a part of becoming a disciple of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity. In Acts chapter 5, it's recorded for us this really interesting moment. And it says this in verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He, Ananias, brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount, claiming it was the whole amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. In other words, his wife is in on this, this scam. Okay. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. And you ought to underline that in your notes or in your Bible. And you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away if you wanted to. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Underlying the word God. Isn't it interesting how he interchanges the Holy Spirit? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you lied to God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. And so when Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit, he was lying to God. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said this. Therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. And here's what I want you to do. I want to make sure you baptize them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit. There's no way that Jesus would say, hey, guys, listen, I want you to go and baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit really didn't mean a whole lot. It's just this nebulous thing. Jesus would never do that. It's why when we baptize, and if you haven't been baptized, Easter's the weekend to do it. Come on, folks. You know, 
get mark on the card. We'll call you. We want to have a great weekend of baptisms. But when we baptize here, we baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. We give honor to all three persons of the Trinity. Now, a lot of churches, they'll baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they'll do it one time backwards. And that's fine, too. But here at Big Valley Grace, we have a tradition, and there's nothing wrong with traditions unless they keep you from reaching people for Christ. The tradition here is, is we do it three times forward. And since I was saved here and I was baptized here, I wasn't in this building, we weren't in this building, I just thought that's how everybody baptized. I remember the first time I went to a Baptist church and they baptized one time backwards. I thought, man, those guys are dummies. They don't know what they're doing. You know, I, I did, because uh, I thought our churches did everything perfect. You know, we, we're the only ones who knew what they were doing. Um, and by the way, we see all three persons of the Trinity in the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And if you're, you know, you're awake, you have to ask yourself, let us, who's the us? Make human beings in our image. Who's the our? Right there you see the Trinity. You see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit kind of having a conversation. Hey, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Now let me give you a, a, one more maybe little interesting thought. We all know that God the Father has a voice. It says this in Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, which is why we baptize by immersion here. Obviously, Jesus is coming up out of the water, and we just think here at Big Valley Grace, it's always best to do it the way Jesus did it. And that's why we believe in immersion. So he came up out of the water. Suddenly, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and resting on him. So here we have the Son, and now we have the Holy Spirit, right, coming and resting on Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So at the baptism of Jesus, you see the, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all there. And the Father said, that's my Son, that's him. It's not that guy. It ain't her. It ain't him. It's not that guy. That's my son. And it always amazes me how you got these cults out there that will deny that Jesus was the son of God. Because here you have God very clearly saying, that's him. It's nobody else. It's that guy right there, that's my son. Point is, is that we know that the father has a voice. And obviously Jesus has a voice. We, we, we just read his voice in John 14, right? We get to hear his voice all throughout the gospels. But did you know that the Holy Spirit also has a voice? It says this in Acts chapter eight. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And that was an audible voice. It says this in Acts chapter 13, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
So not only does the Father have a voice, and we hear it in Scripture, not only does Jesus have a voice, and we hear it in Scripture, but we also know that the Holy Spirit has a voice. All three of the persons of the Trinity have spoken out loud. So the first thing I want you to understand is that the Holy Spirit is God, and it's an important truth for you to understand. The second thing is this. Number two is that the Holy Spirit was proof that Jesus made it to the Father in heaven. And I want you to pay close attention to what I'm gonna say. For some of you, this is gonna go over your head, but this is really, really important. In John chapter seven, it says this. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds. Anyone who is thirsty may come after me, Jesus said. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the spirit had not yet come because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So here you have John 7. Jesus makes this declarative statement, okay? The Spirit's gonna come upon you. The Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you, but it hasn't yet because I haven't got to glory yet. I'm not in heaven yet, okay? Now in John chapter 16, it says this. Jesus said, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because what I've told you, you grieve because I told you I'm leaving. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, if I don't go away, if I don't go to glory, if I don't go and be with my father, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I do go away, if I do go to glory, if I do go to the right hand of the Father, then I will send the Holy Spirit to you, okay? So I'm, I'm building a case here that the Holy Spirit is proof that Jesus got there, okay? Um, Acts chapter one says this. Uh, Luke pins these words. In my first book, I told you, uh, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now let me stop, just follow me, just follow me church. Jesus dies on a cross, put in a tomb, Three days later, he walks out. And for 40 days, he walked around Jerusalem and talked with the disciples. In fact, 1 Corinthians tells us that he talked with over 500 people. So a lot of people saw Jesus after the resurrection. It's not like he walked out of the tomb and said, I'm alive, and then he went. No, that's not how it worked. He walked around on planet Earth for a while, handing out instructions, doing whatever it is he was what he was doing. So, so he hadn't got there yet. He's not in glory yet. He's still doing his thing down here on planet, on planet Earth. Look at verse four. 
Once when Jesus was eating with his disciples, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. The comforter, the advocate, the helper, the Holy Spirit. As I told you before, John, he baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, in other words, there's, there's, the, the day's coming. I've told you about it. Told you about it all through John. Talked about it. It's best I go away. There's going to come a moment. Don't leave Jerusalem. I'm telling you guys, just hang out there. John baptized with water. But the advocate's coming. The helper's coming. The comforter's coming. The Holy Spirit's coming. Now, Jesus now leaves planet Earth and he ascends to the Father, and it says this in Acts chapter two. Okay, here it is, here we go. Big moment in history. Never to be repeated again, but wow, was this a huge moment. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were uh, sitting. Then what looked like flames or, or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here it is. He's been promising all along. It's going to happen, but, but he had to get to glory first. He, he had to be at the right hand of the Father, but here it is. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Wow, this must have been an incredible moment. They're all sitting around. Hey man, Jesus told us we can't leave here until you know the one that he said he was gonna send you know, shows up and I don't know, maybe they were drinking their tea. I don't know what happens. Bam! Something happened! Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would come. And here he is, he's come. Let's keep reading though. Verse five. At that time, because remember, they're speaking in these other languages. I wonder what that is. We're gonna find out. The Bible tells us, it's pretty clear. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Okay, they were coming from all around. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So in Jerusalem at that time, there were these Jewish folks that had come from all over and they spoke all different kinds of languages. And so they hear what's going on and they all make their way there. And all of these disciples, these men from Galilee, you know, these uneducated guys, if you will, they're all speaking in a language that they understand, okay? They were completely amazed, the scripture says. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians and, and Medes and Elamites and people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and uh, Pontius, the province of Asia, Phlegra, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya and Cyrene, people, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Arabs, and, and we all hear these people speaking in our own language. About what? 
about the wonderful things that God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? How are these uneducated Galileans talking to me in my own native language? But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, ah, these guys are just drunk. <laughs> There's always people like that in the crowd, by the way. Yes. Whatever. They were probably the ones that are drunk. But, but it had to be weird. All of a sudden, there's Peter, and, 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 and there's James, and, and there's John, and, and there's Matthew, and, and here they are. There's simple Galileans. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came on them. God had promised. Jesus promised they were going to receive it, and now they've got it. And here was the proof. All of a sudden, I don't know, Peter sees a whole bunch of people from another region, and he begins to speak to them in their language. It was a, a real language. The scriptures are crystal clear, right? You can't miss that. I'm not making that up. I'm not trying to poke anybody's eye out. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here. I'm just reading what the scriptures say. This was an amazing moment in history, beloved. Jesus had promised his disciples that when he arrived in heaven, that he would send the comforter. He'd send the, the, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to live with him. And here in Acts chapter two, it happens. Never to happen again, by the way. This was this amazing moment in history where Jesus had walked around on the planet for 33 and a half years. For three and a half years, he walked around with the disciples. They're bummed out because he keeps telling them he's gonna leave. And he goes, no guys, you're missing this. It's actually better that I go to glory. It's actually better that I go to heaven because if I go there, that's when I will send you the Holy Spirit. We'll be with you forever. They knew that Jesus had arrived. I, I, this past week, I read the, the story of Ronald uh, Amsen. Uh, he was a, a, a Norwegian explorer, and on December 14th, 1911, he was the very first person to get to the South Pole, okay? And what he did was he brought some homing pigeons with him on the journey. And when he finally made it to the South Pole, he let the homing pigeons go. And there came a moment when they showed up on his wife's, or some people say it was his mistress, but it doesn't matter. They just showed up on her, uh, you know, like balcony. And when she saw the homing pigeons, what did she know? He had made it. Jesus said, guys, I'm going away. And when I get to glory, I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Don't, don't, don't you leave Jerusalem. You hang out there. Jesus goes, and this moment happens. And everybody knew exactly what it was. Now, there were people who thought they were drunk. There were people who didn't believe it. There's always those people around. But those men knew that he had arrived. And guess what? It's recorded for us forever. We know he arrived because the word of God tells us about that moment. We know he got there. So the Holy Spirit is God, and the second point was is that the arrival of the Holy Spirit was proof that Jesus made it back to the Father in heaven. And the third point is this, and it gets us back to our text. 
The Holy Spirit lives within or indwells all true believers permanently, okay? If the decision you made for Christ was genuine, if you really understood how your sin had goofed up your relationship with the Father, had severed your relationship with the Father, if you really understand that, if you really understood the fact that you couldn't do anything to fix the relationship, you, you couldn't give enough money, you couldn't you know, become an Eagle Scout or go on missions, there was nothing you could do to fix the problem and that you recognized you were doomed. But then you also recognize the fact that God loved you so much he sent his son and you received Christ into your life. You gave your life to Christ. If that was a genuine decision, at the very moment you invited Christ into your life, bam, the Holy Spirit came in and cleansed you of your sin. At that very moment, the Holy Spirit invaded your life, just like the Holy Spirit invaded the disciples' lives 2,000 years ago in the book of, in the book of Acts. Everybody look at John chapter 14 again. In verse 16, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father when he gets there, because he's not there yet in John 14. But when I get there, I'm gonna ask the Father and he's gonna give you another advocate. He's gonna give you the Holy Spirit who will never leave you, never leave you. Beloved, can Jesus lie? No. I did a whole series of messages once at a camp and they were all on all the things that God can't do. And there's a lot of things that God can't do. One of them is God can't lie. And so when Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and he will never leave you, he can't lie. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it will never leave you. Well, you know, what if I kick the dog? He'll never leave you. Well, I don't know. What if I don't read the Bible for a month? He will never leave you. What if I never go on a missions trip? He will never leave you. Well, what happens if I go out and get drunk? He will never leave you. It's a promise that he will never leave you. Let me tell you something. If the Holy Spirit could leave you, it's no longer called good news. Because if you could do something to boot the Holy Spirit out of your life, let me tell you something, your flesh would make sure it happened. He'll never leave you. Never. He'll live with you forever. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter three, he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, whatever it is your Bible says, whatever word it uses, it lives in you. Paul was so concerned about it that three chapters later he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You see, it's possible to be in the church. Paul's writing to a church, the church at Corinth, and the people there just didn't understand this basic truth. That at the moment you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. With all your arthritis, with all your, your bad hips, with all your bad eyes, hair growing out your ears, hair growing out your nose. 
And even those of you who, you know, are young and strapping, got all your energy, it doesn't matter. You have become the place that God dwells, you. He doesn't indwell the, 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 the temple anymore. The temple was destroyed anyway. He's, when you leave here in a little bit and go to lunch, he, he doesn't stay in this room and float around this pulpit and wait for you to show up next Sunday at 11 o'clock. If you know him, he lives in you, which is why Paul says, look, because of that truth, because God lives in you, honor him with this body, whether it's old or young, whether it works very well or not. Honor him. Honor him. People don't know the Holy Spirit lives in you. How can they know that? Well, they can't know it one way if you use the body in such a way that it honors him. Galatians chapter 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Isn't it interesting that throughout all of the scriptures, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all of them are interchangeable at times. Does Christ live in you? Yeah, he does. Well, I thought you said it was the Holy Spirit. Well, they're all God. They are interchangeable to some degree. Technically speaking, it's the Holy Spirit that indwells us. It's the Holy Spirit. See, listen, when Jesus shed his blood on the cross, it's his blood that cleanses us of our sin, right? Is everybody's sin cleansed? No. No. But I thought his blood cleanses everybody's sins. Let me tell you something. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon your life, he is the agent by which the blood is appropriated to your life. If you don't know the Lord, then the blood that was shed at Calvary doesn't do anything to you. It's when you surrender your life over to God's Son that the Spirit of God comes upon you and the Spirit of God is the agent by which the blood is poured out in your life, if you will, that cleanses you of your sin. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, then that blood doesn't mean a thing. And next week, Lord willing, we'll talk a little bit more uh, uh, about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Obviously, when the book of Acts was being written, there was no New Testament. Okay, when, when John wrote his gospel, there was no Bible. So obviously, the Holy Spirit had a really unique function in the lives of the people who wrote the scriptures. It was the Holy Spirit that brought back to their memories the things to write so that the very accurate stories and miracles were actually recorded for us. We live in a different time today. We, we all have the scriptures. That's why we worked really hard to raise $60,000 so that a group of people could hear God's word, you see. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in the weeks to come if God doesn't return. But the one thing I want you all to understand is this. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit proves that God 
that Jesus actually made it back to the Father like he said he was going to. And number three, the Holy Spirit indwells you permanently, indwells you. Just because you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that next week, which is why you need to come back next week. <laughs> if I end up, you know, kicking the can this week, then I guess Cleek's going to have to come up here and finish the, 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 the series. Hey, why don't you stand up? Everybody over in the venue, stand and let me pray, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for just a fantastic weekend. It's been fun to have Love Modesto here. It's been fun to just pray for some of our guys that are heading off to the mission field. Uh, Lord, some of the music, man, just so sacred, so special, just God-honoring. It gets our minds to spiritual things, not only here but over in the venue. Thank you, God, for all the musicians and singers, and man, just so great. Thank you, Lord, for all of those that served us all this weekend, whether it be in the children's ministries and all of that. Father, and obviously, most of all, we're so grateful for you and your word. And you can't separate the two. Man, without you and the word, there's no reason to be here. Father, give us a great afternoon, and I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, go out and sign the car. They get a dollar for every signature. So get out there and sign the car, all right?